Principal Matters Podcast, episode 189. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast, where each week I bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. Today, we get to talk about building bridges with my special guest, Dr. Don Parker. Dr. Don Parker is the principal of Posen Intermediate School in Posen Ramen School District 143.5 in Posen, Illinois, right outside of Chicago. He is a leader who understands the power of building bridges. And I won't read your entire bio, Dr. Parker, but I want to make sure that listeners know that not only are you a practicing principal, but the author of this great book, Building Bridges, Engaging Students at Risk Through the Power of Relationships. So Dr. Parker, welcome to Principal Matters Podcast. Feel free to fill in the gaps on that intro and tell us something that might surprise listeners to know about you. All right, Will. Thanks, man. I appreciate being on a podcast because I listen to your podcast, you know, all the time on my commute in and out of work. So it's a pleasure being on your podcast. I love the work you're doing. So, uh, yes, I'm a principal of an intermediate school, fourth and fifth grade students. And uh, prior to becoming a principal, of course, I was assistant principal. And where I really learned the power of building relationships with students is when I first started off my career as a health and PE teacher, because that health curriculum talks about teaching students life skills and helping students make healthy choices. And, you know, with me working in a low socioeconomic area with a lot of at-risk students, I found that I was more successful with those students when I built relationships with them. And so I, I further got information about the importance of building relationships when I became a dean of students at a high school and working with that population of students that has so many social and emotional uh, learning deficits, you know, I really had to build relationships with them to uh, just help them be successful and get on track with their behavior. Well, I am so excited to talk about your book because, Don, you know, at the time of this recording, we are facing school closures across the nation and the idea of providing leadership as distance learning right now with our kids that are not in our schools. And so I just want to pause for a second before we jump into the content of your book and talk about what's been going on with you guys in Chicago, in the Chicago area, what's been going on in Illinois, and um, and what are some of the ideas that you've been thinking about as a leader who's right now not present with your kids? Well, you know, it's tough because when uh, school closures first started, it was just hilarious looking at social media at all the jokes that people were cracking about how parents are having a hard time doing homeschooling and how, you know, they are going to appreciate teachers a lot more after this school closure thing is over, after this coronavirus, you know, comes to an end. And the, the jokes were hilarious. They were cracking me up. And so after a few more days, though, I, you know, I just started missing my staff and missing my students. Mm-hmm. And of course, this affects everyone. but I started thinking about my students' perspective. How is this really affecting them? Because I'm sure they miss their teachers. They miss their friends at school. And for a lot of students, you know, their home environments, they enjoy coming to school. They enjoy the personal relationships that they have uh, with their teachers. And, you know, of course, I have great relationships with my students as well. And so I'm imagining they're missing us as much as we're missing them. Mm. And so this is today is actually the day where we have to mail out third quarter report cards. And so what I did was I took time to write a note that was included with all of the report cards, just to let the students know that I'm thinking of them. I hope that they and their families are safe, that I miss them. 
And I have a, a saying at my school that we say every day and it's go above and beyond. And so I tell my staff every day when we come to work, we are going to go above and beyond to meet the social, emotional, and academic needs of all of our students. So at the end of my letter, I just told students, hey, continue to go above and beyond with everything you do, including your e-learning, just to be the best that you can do and that we're all going to get through this. Right. Well, thank, thanks for that feedback, Don. That's such a great example of staying connected to your kids. And as I've had the opportunity and privilege to talk to principals in my own state in Oklahoma and across the nation, people are in different places. I mean, some places, uh, Kansas, for instance, has closed schools for the remainder of the year in open distance learning. Oklahoma just made that announcement. Um, mm-hmm. In Ohio, in the Columbus area, I was talking to a principal there and they're, they're just going week to week trying to decide what to do next. And I, I believe that's the situation in Illinois right now too, as you guys have been close till March 30th and you're waiting for the next ideas. And so as this prolongs and as other schools across the nation are, are facing and districts are facing long time closures or a lot of kids not coming back to school mm-hmm. uh, and doing distance learning. This is the new challenge. I, we're kind of stepping into a whole new area of leadership that most of us had never imagined. Stepping mm-hmm. And so um, I'm just curious as you're thinking about the, the coming weeks ahead, what are some other things that you're thinking about with your teachers or students that you may have to implement that you um, have never had to do before? Well, you know, we, we didn't see this coming. And a lot of school districts didn't see this coming. Of course, this is something new for all of us. Uh, it's kind of a shock to our system. So, you know, there's a saying that says when, you know, you're at peace, that's the time to prepare for war. And so we were fortunate enough that we are in Chicago where we get a lot of snow and, you know, terrible weather conditions. And so our district was ahead of the curve in that we were planning e-learning. So when we had snow days, we could prepare students to learn from home. And so that was why it was fortunate for us that we did have something that we were starting to do. And so it's still in the initiation process, but we had at least, you know, a little bit bit of a e-learning plan for our students. So we have something that we call blizzard folders, where we have these paper copies of lessons that students can do at home. And then we also set up e-learning through uh, IXL, Edulastic, and online learning programs like that that students can do. So what we did was we put those links in our website and our teachers are going on to update the lessons. And um, we put those links in our website so students can go right into our school website. They can click on what lessons that they have to do and they can continue their e-learning at home. And so now what we're trying to figure out is, you know, what progress are students making with e-learning, how our teachers, you know, stand in communication with their students and things like that. So it's kind of like that phrase, you're building the plane while flying it. And or flying a plane while building it. And so that's the kind of process we're on right now, just trying to figure out how to make it all work. Wow, that's great. Thank you for that feedback, Don. And you're right. What a privilege that you guys have to have an e-learning plan that's already in, in place. And Principal Matters listeners, if you're hearing additional sounds happening in my recording today, like plates being dropped on counters and people moving around, it's because I'm recording from home, just like many of you guys are are working from home. So happy to still be able to connect with people, even as we're all quarantined. Mm-hmm. Don, when you wrote this book, Building Bridges, you really took a lot of time in your own research and in your own practice to think about the, the importance of relationships. And I think this is why I'm so excited to talk about this with you because relationships, they don't stop when we lose our students not mm-hmm. physically present with us. And so I would just love for you to take a few minutes to talk with us first about how do leaders develop the mindset for building and maintaining strong relationships as a core of their leadership? Absolutely. So 
I started this research because when I was a dean of students, I noticed that when I was working with my students, how they continued to struggle and continue to make poor choices. And it got to a point where, you know, I noticed the suspension numbers going up. You know, the students that we were sending to alternative school was going up. The attendance was going down. And I said, okay, I want to figure out how can I help my students be more successful? So when I entered my doctorate program, as, as you know, when they tell you when you're studying a topic that you have to do a dissertation on, it has to be something that you're passionate about. And so I was passionate about how can I help at-risk students to be more successful. And so when I did my dissertation defense, they said, you know what, we love the research that you did. And my findings were the two methods to help students make better choices to reduce behavior infractions is number one was to build relationships with students. And number two was authoritative counseling. And so uh, I presented this research to my dissertation committee and they said, that's great, but we want you to go back and all the research is saying build relationships. But a lot of educators don't know how to build relationships with at-risk students. So go back, get some methods on how to build relationships with at-risk students and present that. And we want you to also share that with other educators. That's how I came to a point of uh, building my own toolbox on how to build relationships with students. So I found out the number one thing is you have to have what you have, a relationship building mindset. And what that is, is just a relentless effort to just never give up on working with the student. So the most important thing that the educator has to have along with the student is that very important word, hope. So the student has to have hope that his life will get better. And the adult has to keep hope to know that, hey, no matter how bad or how tough a time I am having with building a relationship with this student, I'm not going to lose hope that this relationship can be built. And so I remember when I was in college and I struggled so much with my academics and I was ready to drop out of school my freshman year. And so I called my uncle because at this time my mom and dad had went through a divorce. And my uncle, I was talking to him about the struggles that I was having in college because I was just so overwhelmed. I said, hey, um, you know, I want to come home, come pick me up. And he was like, well, Don, if you leave college, what are you going to do? He's like, you know, your mom works three jobs and you know the neighborhood you come from. You have younger siblings. You have to send a message that, you know, you can be successful. So if you drop out of school, they're going to give themselves a pass to, you know, not complete college as well. So I started talking about all the things that I could do in order to, you know, drop out of school and come home and make a living for myself. I said, maybe I, could, maybe I can become a policeman like you. He's like, no, because they changed the requirements to become a policeman in Chicago. You have to have a four-year bachelor's degree. Like, what's your plan now? I'm like, well, maybe I can come home and be a barber because I'm good at cutting hair. He's like, no, I don't think that's what you want to do because he told me when you went to school, you want to become a PE teacher and coach because you love working with kids and you love sports. So he was like, you have to burn your ships. And I was like, well, what are you talking about, burn my ships? And he shared the story of Hernan Cortez with me, who was a rapacious conquistador, and he took over the Aztec Empire. And he shared the story about how when his army came and unloaded their ships to take over the Aztec Empire, how they were losing the war against the Aztecs. So Hernando Cortez, seeing his army fleeing back to the ships, he turned to his general and he said, hey, burn the ships. And his general looked at him and was like, hey, are you crazy? We're getting our bus kicked. We have to retreat. So Hernan, Hernan Cortez got furious. So he stabbed his general and he gave his second in command the order to burn the ships. So they burnt the ships. So the army is running back to the ships. They said, you know what? We have no way to retreat. 
So we have to really fight with the more sense of purpose in order to save our lives because, you know, it's do or die at this point. They started fighting the Aztec army with more uh, purpose and with more of a determination to be successful. And so that's the kind of mindset that you have to take when you're working with at-risk students. Educators have to figure out, hey, you know, uh, we have no choice but to build a relationship with this student because we don't, in the end, you know, it could be detrimental, you know, for that student if we're not that educated that can make a difference in our students' lives. Wow, Don, what a great story. I'm At this moment, I'm actually thinking how fun it would have been to be a student in your class because I was already being just pulled into the to that story and, and actually seeing and, and hearing and visualizing everything that was happening. And what an amazing role model your uncle was for you in pushing you to realize that, man, you had to burn your own ships. And then what a great role model that was for you in understanding your own relationships with at-risk students too. So I just love those takeaways. Principal Matters listeners, just two things I want to pull out from Don's first comments. And that one is that that relentless mindset of never giving up means students have to have hope. But two, you have to have hope as a leader that the efforts that you're making are making a difference, even when you're seeing that they're not. Don, any other comments that you want to make or thoughts you want to add to developing that mindset before I ask you some other questions about your book? I do. So when my uncle told me to burn my ships and not to retreat back to coming home and trying to figure it out, he said, because, you know, you come from an environment that you need to be out that environment in order to be successful. And then you can bring back what you've learned to the environment to help other people. So uh, I had to do what I had to do, just like that army had to fight to do what they had to do in order to win. I had to buckle down and I had to, you know, go to tutoring. I had to stay up late at night studying. I had to teach myself how to type. I had to teach myself how to do presentations. And I had to make sacrifices. I couldn't hang out and go out, you know, with my friends. I couldn't, you know, play video games and things like that. I had other classmates. They could still do those things because academically, they're already where they needed to be. They didn't have to study as hard in order to, you know, learn the curriculum and learn the material. So educators, it's, it's the same thing. We have to work harder at that craft and what we're trying to accomplish in order to be successful. And that's part of not building the bridge and not giving up. We just have to make ourselves stronger, give ourselves more skills, strategies, and tools to use with those at-risk students in order to be successful with them. Thank you, Don. What great applications. Something else that you talk about in your book that I'm really curious to have you help me understand is taking an ecological approach in building bridges. So talk about that a little bit. What Help us understand what you mean by that. So if you if you look at what it means to take an ecological approach to, you know, working with at-risk students, uh, when uh, Johnson & Johnson did research on at-risk students and, and uh, Lippert, this is where this research is taken from. They came up with the term, take, take an ecological approach. And they looked at previous approaches that were taken with at-risk students. The first approach was an epidemiological approach. And what that approach told researchers that when they look at the struggles that at-risk students are having, it's something that's wrong with them epidemiologically, meaning there's something wrong with their, in their DNA or something wrong with them physically or mentally why they can't be successful. And then to back that study up or to further research with at-risk students, another group of researchers came and they did study on at-risk students. And they called this the social constructivist approach, where they said, okay, well, we can't accept that the student can't be successful because there's something wrong with the student. We have to look at what we can do at school to help students be successful, to you know, level the playing field, to help them be successful. So they said there are different things that school practices that we can take to help at-risk students be successful. 
And so when they further researched at-risk students, another group came in and said, well, we have to not only look at what interventions we need to use at the school level, but we have to take an ecological approach, which means ecological, uh, eco is the person's environment and allergy is study of. So we have to look at this student's environment, not only in school, but also at home and in his community. And then we can open up a whole nother world, a whole nother plethora of interventions that we can apply to the students to help them be successful. So taking an ecological approach means we're looking at interventions that we can apply with the student, not only while he's at school, but how can we help his family? How can we help you know, the problems that he faced in the community and apply those interventions as well so we can address the whole child, which is another important term in education is teaching the whole child. And so an example of an ecological approach would be like what, what it was for me when I worked with my students. There was an incident that happened at my school. And what I had to do was call all the parents of my students to find out uh, or to tell the inform the parents of what happened at my school. And when I was making phone calls to all the parents, uh, no exaggeration, I found that one out of 25 students that I called came from a two-parent household family. And so what I've learned is that a lot of my students were not in the house with family figures, with, with father figures. And so I was like, they don't have the, the boys in my school. They really need a, a positive role model, a male role model to help them navigate a lot of the issues that they face. And a lot of them didn't have positive male role models. So what I did, I said, okay, this is something that these students really need. And so my ecological approach was to start a mentoring program and a resilience program to connect my students with positive male role models, because this is something that they needed in their life in order to help them be successful. And so that's an, an example of an ecological approach that I took with my students. And another example would be uh, the principal from New Jersey. He noticed that students in his school did not have clean clothes. So what he did was he, he put washers and dryers in his school so students could come to school in order to wash their clothes so they wouldn't be picked on or be ashamed of coming to school with, you know, dirty clothes. So that's another ecological approach that he took in order to help his, his students be successful and feel better about coming to school. So those are examples of ecological approaches that educators can do for their students. Oh, I love that, Don. Thank you for explaining that because you're so right. When you look at the research that focuses primarily on the student's DNA or their own physical or mental capabilities, you know, you're placing them into one category. Or if you're looking at their social constructs that you might say, this is what the school can do for them, you know, as an independent institution. But I love the way you look at it because you're looking at it as the whole child. You know, what can we be doing for that child in the school and in the home and through the community? And how can we marry those worlds together? And so um, the idea of connecting kids with mentors and especially boys with a with strong male adult um, mentorship. What a great example of sure. what it looks like. I really and, the research, and the research was very clear because it was a study that was done uh, with school districts in New York. And they found that the ecological approaches that have been implemented with students from kindergarten through fifth grade, when the schools work with families uh, and students with the ecological approach, how much more successful those students were than other K through five schools where ecological interventions were not taking place. Wow, that's fantastic. And, and everything that you're saying today just is resonating with me in the sense of what we're going through presently 
with school closures, distance learning, and this whole new era of of leading now from a with kids at home. Some of them are going to be with families, but you just just from the statistic that you said, we know there are going to be thousands of children who are going to be in homes where they don't have parental support or where they don't have, or maybe grandparents are the only adults in their lives that could provide some kind of uh, feedback to them. So this is a such an important time, even probably more than ever before, that we are still connecting with our kids and families, trying to reach out to them to make sure that they know we still care, that we still support them, um, and Absolutely. that we're doubling up our efforts. Absolutely. And even on top of that is, you know, students not having access to technology at home was even a small issue when you look at the bigger issue. Some of these students, when they came to school, that was the only time that they were able to get a hot meal or that was the only time where they know they can come to school and our school serves a free breakfast and a free lunch. And so what we've done is we've opened up two schools where families can come to the two schools and they can pick up breakfast and lunch for their students. So our schools are are still open from nine to 12. So students can come and pick up food that they otherwise wouldn't have access to. Mm-hmm. But that's you know, another ecological approach. I agree. And, you know, I've been listening to conversations among school leaders and, and it seems like the common refrain that I'm hearing from so many successful leaders is the importance of relationships. And, and occasionally when I'm talking to people, they'll push back and say, well, you know, what about standards or what about academics? And, and I immediately want to say to them, one doesn't exclude the other. You know, you, just because you're emphasizing the power of relationships and connections doesn't mean that you're doing that in exclusion to academics and standards. So Don, talk about that for a little bit too, because obviously as you're pushing your students towards higher achievement, how do relationships help you do that? So relationships really help because when a student knows that you really care about them, that you really want to be successful, uh, students need to know that you have their best interests in mind. So when I'm working with students who have issues with behavior, issues with anger management and things like that, I don't, I not only set up a plan for them to get their behavior on track, but I say, but the goal is to help you perform better in school and to help, help you make healthy choices that are good for yourself. So when I set up plans and I work with students, I set up not only behavior plans, but also academic plans. And we project out goals that students can have for their behavior. And we tell them, hey, uh, we not only want to see you perform better with your behavior, I also want to see you perform better academically, because that's the goal, is that we increase your academic achievement and that we just improve your overall, you know, uh, health, behaviorally and academically. So I set up behavior goals and academic goals, and I tie incentives to both. So when the student has met a goal, then we reward that. We, we tie incentives to the student's behavior. And so all interventions are not panaceas for all problems. And all interventions won't quote unquote fix the issue. But the behavior, the goal is for improved behavior and to see less frequency with the behavior. And so if you can uh, apply interventions, academic interventions and behavior interventions, as long as we can see improvement, then we know we're on the right track. I like that. And it circles back to what you said at the beginning of this conversation, which is that in the research that you did, you found that not only was building relationships an important part of student achievement, but authoritative counseling. And so that whole idea of being able to help that student 
from your perspective as a leader to not just build a relationship and connection, but then take them to that next step, which is understanding how to modify and improve their own behavior and their, their academics too. Any other thoughts on that, Don? Sure. I share a story in my book where I was working with an at-risk student and it just shows you just how important the relationship is uh, with those students that have challenges like that. And so the story I share is about a young man who transferred into the high school during his sophomore year. And uh, the high school was in a suburban area. And this student uh, had to transfer from living with his uh, mom and dad in the city to, well, actually living with his single, single mom in the city to uh, moving out to stay with his grandmother in the suburbs. So when he came to the school, he had struggles with making friends and things like that. And so I, I noticed that this student would need some relational support. So I started, you know, just trying to get to know him and build a relationship with them. And one day we were sitting at the table in the cafeteria and I heard him talking to his friends and they were having a discussion about who the best basketball players in the NBA. And this student's favorite player was Derrick Rose, you know, the MVP from Chicago Bulls back in 2012. And I asked him, why did he like Derrick Rose so much? And he told me because, you know, I'm from Inglewood and Derrick Rose is from Inglewood. And so I like to see that he's made it because he's tough and, you know, I love basketball. He's helping the Chicago Bulls be successful. And that's, and that's my favorite team. And so one day when the student was in trouble, you know, uh, they, he was referred to me because the staff just was at their wits end on how they were going to help the student because he was constantly getting into uh, fights in school, uh, insubordinate with teachers. And it's like people were just fed up with his behavior. And so I asked him, hey, you know, why are you? you know, why do you continue to struggle so much? He's like, because, you know, these suburban kids, they keep trying me because I'm from the city. And, you know, I just have to show them, you know, who I really am. So they'll stop messing with me. And so I said, you know what? You told me how much you love Derrick Rose. I said, uh, right now, Derrick Rose is, is injured. Do you think that the Bulls can be successful? And he said, and I don't think they could be successful with Derrick Rose being injured. I said, well, don't you think Derrick Rose owes it to himself to get healthy and help his team? And he was like, yes. I was like, well, I think you're injured. He's like, what are you talking about, Dr. Parker? I'm not injured. I don't have a knee injury like Derrick Rose. I was like, you're not physically injured. You're psychologically injured. And I think that you owe it you know, to yourself. You owe it to your family to address those injuries so you can be successful, just like Derrick Rose owes it to his fans, his team, to get healthy so he could be successful. And he said, oh. I said, so I want to work with you to put some plans in place so we can start working on these emotional issues that you have. So you need to open up and tell me what's really going on so we can help you. So he started telling me about a lot of things. This was a student who uh, had a lot of trauma. He's one of our A students, you know, a student with adverse childhood experiences. And he started telling me, you know, why he had to move out because of what was happening in his mom's home and things like that. And so I said, well, we need to put a plan in place for you so you can uh, talk about this in a comfortable space need to have some therapy. And so I started working with him and our school counselor and our school psychologist. And we started giving him tutoring. And his reward was, you know, when I found out your grades are improving and your behavior is improving, I would get him a Derrick Rose t-shirt as a reward to say, hey, you know, you've done well, you met this goal. And so I yeah. want to reward you with a Derrick Rose t-shirt. So the first reward was a white Derrick Rose t-shirt after, you know, two to three weeks of improved behavior improved academic. Then it was a red Derrick Rose t-shirt after another month out of him meeting his rewards and goals. And then after that, we 
you know, looked at the plan again. And I said, okay, well, I think you could do better. And if you do better and continue to improve, I'm going to give you this black Derrick Rose t-shirt. And this student was excited. He would check in with me. And he, as we would get toward the end of the week, he would say, man, Dr. Parker, I haven't gotten into any fights. I haven't gotten any more referrals. Um, make sure you have that Derrick Rose t-shirt ready for me because I'm going to hit this goal. And then I said, okay, well, you met this goal. Well, here's the next goal. You have to go uh, a longer period of time without getting any more behavior infraction and, and you know, no more missing assignments and no more, you know, class cuts and no more uh, tardy or truancy days. And so the ultimate goal at the end of the year, if you can go through the year successful with, you know, decreased behavior infractions and increased attendance and increased grades, then I said, I'm going to get you this Derrick Rose authentic jersey. And so I tied his incentive to things that he worked for and he knew that I was rooting for him. He didn't want to let me down. He didn't want to let himself down. And of course, he had that incentive to work towards. And that was because I had a relationship with him. I knew what he loved. I knew what he would work towards. And I knew what it would take in order to help him be successful. Wow. I love that story. And I would love to see some photos of those jerseys and t-shirts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that kind of leads us into the last part of our conversation, Don, that I wanted to ask you about from your book. And that's just the power of opening up. And I think you've given us some examples of that too, but expand on that for a minute or two. How important is, is it for leaders to keep this idea in mind of opening up? Because a, a lot of time as leaders, you know, we don't want to seem vulnerable. We don't want people to, you know, look at our lives and pick us apart and, you know, look at things that we have done wrong or mistakes that we have made. But really, all of us, especially students that are at risk, they make mistakes all the time. And now as adults, we know that we can learn from our mistakes and mistakes are just you know, uh, bumps in the road to success. And we become successful because we can look at our mistakes and see what we learn from. So a lot of educators feel that they don't want to be judged by, you know, not only by other adults and, you know, their colleagues, but also by students. But I've learned that if we can share our unique experiences with that riskness, we can let them know that maybe we have not gone through the exact same thing that they've gone through However, we have gone through challenges that we've learned lessons from, and we could share these challenges with students to let them know, hey, you know, you're not unique in going through troubles and issues and things like that. There's issues and challenges that we all face, and there's mistakes that we all made that we have to learn from and go through. And when we can share that with at-risk students, then they also know that, you know, I've made a mistake, but this uh, teacher in my life or this administrator in my life has also made mistakes and look, they're still successful. So I know that I can make mistakes and bounce back from them and be resilient because I have a perfect example right here in front of me. So that's part of that hope thing. It gives them hope that although they've made some mistakes, that you know you can still be successful and overcome that mistake and learn a life lesson from it. Well, Dr. Don Parker is the principal of Posen Intermediate School near Chicago, Illinois, and the author of Building Bridges, Engaging Students at Risk Through the Power of Relationships. And Dr. Parker, I am so privileged that I got to have this conversation with you. I'm first of all excited that you connect regularly through um, our podcast, but I'm just so excited that I can have the opportunity to build a relationship with another leader and someone who's not only just researching and writing about building relationships, but modeling it every single day. What what are some ways that listeners can stay connected with you if they want to reach out to you or if they want to follow you on social media? How can they do that? Well, I'm on Twitter at Dr. Parker One, and they can also find me on my website, 
And my web, my website is drdonparker.com. Uh, they can look for me there. And they can also email me at dr.donparker at comcast.net. And Will, it's been a pleasure. You know, it's just a coincidence that we have the same name, Parker. And like I told you before, you're like a brother from another mother. I love what you're doing in education is equipping other principals and educational leaders with skills through your podcast. And it's a pleasure to be a guest on your podcast. So thank you for having me. Uh, Well, thank you, Don. And you know, the next time I'm in Chicago, I'm going to be looking you up because uh, when we're not socially isolated any longer, because I love (laughs) it see you in that great city. I love Chicago. And Principal Matters listeners, thank you for the time you've taken today to listen and to learn. Thanks for doing what matters. And we'll talk to you soon. If you'd like other free resources like this one, you can check out all my posts at williamdparker.com. 